Mates, welcome back to the Top Step Podcast. My name is Ryan Roland-Smith. Have an awesome episode this week. Someone who I was dying to talk to has an amazing story, an amazing way of communicating with his players. It's the Seattle Mariners pitching coach, Mr. Pete Woodworth. Now, I, I wanted to talk to this guy for a couple of years, hadn't didn't have a chance. Obviously, this year, uh, 2020, because of COVID, uh, and obviously he couldn't get down the locker room or anything like that. But it's amazing when you hear these young players when they get asked about their success. They say, "Oh, hey, what's working for you now, or, or what's the difference?" And literally it takes them a split second to say, "Oh, well, hey, getting around uh, Pete Woodworth and Pete and I did this, and oh, and Pete mentioned this, and we tried this." Yeah, it's a constant, and you hear it, hear it. And being a former player, you hear that, and you go, "Man, all right, there's obviously." some good vibes here between a pitching coach and his players. And this was in AA in 2019. And all of a sudden, here's a guy, never played in the major leagues, hadn't been coaching for very long. He's still super young. And now he's a major league pitching coach. And a lot of people from back in the day, you know, the old school way of thinking is like, well, you know, you should have big leaguers as pitching coaches or, or coaches or the game's changed. When you listen to this, uh, this chat, this conversation, this, this sit down with, with, with Pete Woodworth, it is very clear as to why Justice Sheffield, Justin Dunn, all these guys have and are going to have success and some of the younger, younger guys coming up who get to work with Pete Woodworth. Man, I remember there was Brad Holman for me. I was in AA um, and, and someone who really changed my career. And we talk about during this conversation, it's not because of this magic pill information. It's about the relationship. And Pete obviously has that. But we, we dive into that. We talk about his journey. Um, if you're a Mariners fan or a baseball fan or just a fan in inspirational stories, make sure you pay attention because Pete says some things that are critical here that can that can really really help you out, I feel like. Um, we talk about some of the Mariners pitches, what, what, what they should be looking for, to do in 2021, and just a whole lot of things. It was just a fun conversation. Now, before I move on, with getting to this interview and giving my whole plug, going to www.thetopstep.com to hear former interviews with uh, other baseball players, James Paxton, Mac, Max Scherzer, Brandon Morrow, yada, yada. Before I give my big plug, I do want to say this. I got in the mail, a, and this is what we're referring to if you're listening and you can't see it. Uh, Pete texted me and said, hey, man, I got, I got a gift for you. And I was like, what's this all about? I was like, man, did I say something bad? And he's he's sending me some letter to say, hey, how dare you say this? I'm a media member covering the Seattle Mariners. But I'm like, no, there's no way. Not, this 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 guy, there's no way this is anything bad. This must be something good. Or it could be something that I left in the... Who knows? But anyway, I'm, I'm going through a, a kind of a crazy week, kind of a downer of a week. My wife says, oh, by the way, this came for you. I'm sitting there at 8 o'clock at night. Yeah, by the way, thanks, Amanda. The mail came at three o'clock that afternoon, but no worries. I'm not I'm not anxiously waiting to see what Pete Woodworth had sent me, like a twelve year old waiting for his pen pal to write a letter. Anyway, again, we've never met each other ever. And I pull out the, it's this bobblehead of me. And you can go on um, Instagram, my Instagram account at hyphen eighteen to go check it out. But it's basically it's me. He he tells a story about um, the whole thing, but basically it's painted Mariners Union. The guy's walking up the step, like the top step, love it, top step of the dugout. It has the top step logo on it, has my name on it, has hyphen 18 on the back. Insane. My jaw dropped. One of the best, most coolest things I've ever gotten. It meant the world to me. 
crazy. It just, it was, man, I needed that, man, when, when it got sent to me. So we talk about that as well. Very important content here. But um, again, guys, make sure you go to go uh, click subscribe, www.thetopstep.com. Uh, there's a bunch of different episodes when you're cruising around, driving to wherever you're going, sitting at home, having your workout. There's some amazing stories in here and I really appreciate you supporting the podcast. This is what I love to do. Like I say all the time, this is like therapy for me, having these kind of conversations with these amazing people, my guests, people who've, who have overcome um, you know, adversity or, or people who have reached certain levels of success and you realize that they're just like you and me. They're just like you and me. A lot of fun. So without further ado, I want to welcome Mr. Pete Woodworth to The Top Step. Enjoy the episode and I'll catch you next time. No matter what happens, Ryan Rowland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues. <laughs> Face Hall of Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball, he struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over, but what an inning it was. As You'll never say that I'm not killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Pete Woodworth, mate, I've waited a long time to get you on this podcast. This goes back to um, 2019, and I want to get into Justice Sheffield in a second. Before we do that, man, I'm, I'm going to make you, I, I might make you feel, you've you got some ex- explaining to do, right? Now, okay. I mean, again, if you're listening to this, you can't see it, and I'll put this up on Instagram. Dude, this is, this literally right here, this bobblehead, all right? coolest top three coolest things i've ever gotten I, and not not just so I, again man i not not to you and i have never actually met in person but this thing man this this spent a lot tell me the story behind this bobblehead okay it's a long story i don't this is a three-hour right, podcast because it. It, may, it may take a long time um all right so it, it started with my dad he's uh he's very creative he's very crafty um he had always made interesting things um, and my sister in college was dating the quarterback, uh, at the university of the South in Swanee, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, and for Christmas one year, he got like a John Elway or, or Peyton Manning figurine and had painted it and, and made it look like him. Um, and it was a great gift. The next year, um, I went and played in the Northwoods league for the lacrosse loggers and uh, I wore number 28, and like two or three years prior to that, Max Scherzer played on the same team and wore 28. Um, and he had since gone on to yeah. obviously be a, a Cy Young and an all-star. Um, so they, they made a bobblehead for him, and uh, my dad got it, and he kind of made it look like me. Oh, <laughs> there it is. And that is That's the so- – uh, so the Max Scherzer, Pete Woodworth bobblehead. All right. So, so that was basically, it's the same, you're saying it's the same model as Max Scherzer, right? Uh, that's if you chip off the paint, <laughs> that's Max Scherzer <laughs> under there. But, uh, so he painted, he painted that and everything. It wasn't like he yeah. sent this off to a play. He painted that. He painted that. Well, wow. I mean, what helped was we had the same uniform, same number, yep. Yep. Uh, you know, same color hair. He, he made the eyebrows a little bigger for me, yeah. but, um, <laughs> 
both right-handed pitchers. So it was, it was pretty easy. Um, and it, it just kind of escalated from there. Um, for my wedding, uh, I, I made all the groomsmen bobbleheads. Now, you know, oh, wow. growing up in the game, all of my groomsmen uh, played baseball. So it was, it was pretty easy. It didn't have to make one, you know, for, for a lawyer or anything, a doctor. Um, <laughs> they were all ball players at one point in their life. So, um, so yeah, they all got them and uh, their, their reactions were great. They loved them. Um, shoot. He even made one for my wife one year. She pitched, she played softball. He oh, took wow. a, wow. he took a softball and carved her face into it. Um, so like I said, he's, he's very creative. Um, very crafty and uh then last last off season um my wife and i were in a in a thrift store and and we saw this grant balfour figurine where he's like flexing and busting out of his uniform he's just like overly jacked it was like kind of like an action figure (laughs) and uh and i was like dang that looks like dan altavilla um and so, you know, we got it and I basically did the same thing, just painted yeah. it and, uh, and slipped it into to Dan's locker, uh, in spring training. Um, didn't really want to make a big deal about it. Just, I saw it. I was like, man, that, that looks like Dan. That'd be pretty cool if he had, you know, his own bobblehead of him busting out of a uniform. And at this point you had had him as a player in double yes. Okay, so you guys have had a pretty good relationship. It wasn't like it was spring training, like, oh, you're jacked. This looks like you. Here you go, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess I, sh- I probably uh, should have left that part out. Um, yeah, Dan came came to Little Rock last year. Yeah. Uh, Dan and, and Sheffield, mm-hmm. a handful of guys came down there. And uh, usually the those guys coming down, getting demoted, whatever level you're at, yeah. um, they're pretty salty. Yeah. They're, they're frustrated. They're obviously at a – in a, in a tough crossroads. Um, but Dan was not only uber professional, um, but also like was a, a, a coach. He was the bullpen really? coach. Like he, he took guys under his wing. He mentored guys like yeah. just watching Dan go about his business. I mean, this guy's pitched in the big league since 2016. Yeah. Um, and all these guys are, you know, 20 years old and wide eyed and like, Oh shit, it's Dan. Um, so he was huge in, in a lot of guys development and just the overall atmosphere and environment. Um, and chef was the same way. Um, never pouted, came down and got right to work and, you know, helped guys like, like Dunny and Sanchez Mm -hmm. and, and Chris, like the whole team. Um, so yeah, I did have, have a good relationship with Dan, um, (laughs) enough to, to paint a figurine for him. <laughs> so that, so that bobblehead, Dan Altavilla's bobblehead. And I had him on the podcast in the, like basically back in spring training, we talked about it. And that was kind of the icebreaker because again, we hadn't, we hadn't sat down and had a conversation like this. I said, yeah, I love your bobblehead because it, it, it might seem, and I don't know if you listen to this and you think, well, it's just a doll at me. It does mean a lot, man. I don't know what it is. Like if you're a player, and you get your own bobblehead. That's massive. Like it's really at any level, like even in double A, like sometimes I have these <laughs> prospects and they get these, these bobbleheads or, you know, in the big leagues, that's like, you man, I've made it. But anytime you have a little figurine of yourself and with Dan, I think too, with him, he seems like the kind of guy. And I want to talk to him, talk to you about him here in a second about those first conversations, like you said, cause he was salty, but you get that. And 
all of a sudden he, he now has this identity of being this jack dude, the animal <laughs> and everything else. And he puts that and you look at it every day. It just, it, it, it's, it's really cool. I mean, that's, yeah. So, and, and so basically with this, and, and you mentioned this over a text message, you heard us talking about it. You're like, Oh, I need to, I need to, to, so, so your dad, your dad painted this thing. So every twice a week, my dad and I go run. And so we're running and, awesome. and he's like, Hey, did, did you hear, did you hear the, the, the podcast with Dan? And I was like, no, he goes, you need to listen to it. Oh. I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, and then like a couple of days later when we go again, he's like, did you listen to it? And I was like, ah, no, sorry, I forgot. Um, and so like he forced me to listen to it. He's like, you oh, have awesome. to listen to this. So we're listening to it and, and it's going through the figurine and, and obviously Dan's, Dan's talking about it mm -hmm. and, and you are enjoying the story. Yeah. And he, he looks at me, he goes, we got to make this guy a figurine. Oh, that is awesome. That's great. This guy, he needs one. Um, and <laughs> so we, we, I say we, um, he was the mastermind behind a lot of it. Uh, so do you want to know who's beneath that? that bobblehead i was thinking that as you keep telling the secret? story as you're telling <laughs> first of all now i know grant balfour who's he's been on this podcast and uh he's one of my best friends and he's a you know he, he's local where you're at now in florida he lives close to you we were talking about before you got on now the fact that i know that he was underneath dan altavilla I'm, I'm sitting there thinking do i want to know who, who is that underneath that <laughs> that is craig council no way okay all right that so works we found a, a craig council um He's standing on the step. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know. It, it it worked, and and uh, he he had a blast making it. He ob he obviously enjoys the show. Um, so that, that's he, great. It was he had it a was lot never, of fun. It, it was never taken lightly. See, I've spoke about you. Um, you know, I've had Justin Dunn, Sheffield, Alta Villa. I even did a whole. I even did a whole segment on a pregame show about the relationship with you and some of these guys. And obviously, it was tough this year, twenty twenty, because I did you know, there's been times I'm like, man, I need to go talk to, to Pete because it's funny, man, talking to Dan, first, let, let's talk about Dan Alta Villa. First of all, you said he came down to double A and it's, it's inherited to have that salty. No, that, that doesn't have to be the way. I mean, I was, there was times where I was salty. I'm not going to lie where I'd, I'd get sent down. It was no one's fault, but my, my own just performance. You go down, but you have this thing where all of a sudden you get demoted, especially if you're not going to triple A, you're going back down to double A. Yeah. And what were some of the first conversations you had with Dan Altavilla? Here's a guy coming, you know, stuff's off the charts, right? As far as stuff was, what are the first couple of conversations you have? Because it's your job to kind of get him on the right track, so, so to speak. Getting back to what that track was. And yeah. there's, there's a, a, an unending amount of, of reasons why guys um, drift and, and veer off that track. Yeah. Um, but at some point, everybody does it. Um, so it's, it's figuring out what was that track? Why were you successful? Yeah. Um, you know, what were you, what were you doing? What were you thinking? What were, what was your preparation? What was your mentality? Like all of that put together, when was that track straight? Mm -hmm. And and when were you on the right track? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's usually the, the first step is kind of sifting through all of the uncontrollable things that have that have been happening to them um, and getting back to the basics of what they what they were doing when they were successful and, and what they need to do right now to be successful 
So when you look at Dan Altavilla, now he's been traded to the Padres. Um, and, you know, there's, it's bittersweet. I'm happy for him. He's getting a massive yeah. opportunity. But at the same time, it's like, oh, he's, a, he's a good dude. And, you know, I've sort of developed a relationship with him now. And so, do you, so have you. For him, if you look at him, now he's off with the Padres. What are the, some of the key elements as a pitching coach watching him do his thing that he has to make sure he does in order to have success? I think he, he cracked a couple of those this year. Um, it's just getting ahead and, and yeah. I don't want to say throwing strikes because he's better than that, but um, to challenge hitters to swing the bat, you said it, he's got, he's got really good stuff. He's got two elite pitches. Um, I think the only time Dan gets into trouble is when he allows free bases and, and when he falls behind and counts and that yeah. it makes hitters a little bit mortal versus him. Um, when he's ahead in the count, when he's 0-2, 1-2, he's, he's punching tickets right and left. Right. He's the Danimal. So um, it sounds simple, but that's, yeah. that's really what, what he needs for the future and what we kind of saw him do this year. Do you feel like some guys like Dan Altavilla, for example, he loves, and we talked about this during the episode, you know, he loves the analytic side of things. Do you feel like, do you ever get those players that, um, you know, it, it, they get way too caught up in, and, and on th this is one example. Obviously, there's a lot of different examples. You know, throw, throw a pitch, boom, turn around, look at that iPad to see what the rap is telling us and way too caught up in that as opposed to having some of that feel. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a balance. Um, and, and every guy's different. Um, every guy's wired um, different, you know, I don't want to say the younger players, but guys that have grown up with, with the rap Soto and with yeah. Trackman in every bullpen can, can take in the information and translate it and then get back to competing or get back to whatever the, the goal is at that time. Um, whereas like you, you throw it in, in front of a, a guy who hasn't used it at all or hasn't used it much. And um, it could definitely get noisy. It could definitely get, yeah. uh, get busy. Um, so it's, it's figuring out where guys are. Are they, you know, freshman level or are they in grad school? What can they handle? Yeah. Um, but then also challenging them, you know, bit by bit. I think uh, we saw Taiwan and, and Graveman um, take big strides in, in pitch design this year, uh, right. learning to use the technology. And, and both of them failed at, at paying too much attention to it while they're in it. Um, yeah. So, so, so a guy like Taiwan Walker, who has obviously had some success, he's had some injuries. So you're talking about when you say pitch design, for those who are listening, that basically it's designing, for example, a slider and, and figuring out what, how you profile that pitch, right? Like what, what the, the, the machine will tell you how that ball spins, what kind of, you know, axis that ball's spinning at, what kind of spin efficiency and all these little things that factor into that. So, so Taiwan Walker, obviously he's been traded away as well what was that one pitch for him that he was designing or something that helped him this year? Uh, the main one uh, in it's like the very end of camp was a slider. Okay. Um, it was a, it was cutterish, um, didn't have a lot of depth. Um, and so we just kind of saw what it was. And then we had a, a goal of, of what we'd want it to look like and what that pitch would do, creating a lot more swing and miss um, just playing better off of his fastball. Right. Um, and then just went to work with, um, with some edutronic video so he could actually see what the ball was doing out of his hand. Um, 
that helps a lot of guys who are, who are highly visual learners. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every bullpen, just having that goal of getting to that shape. And then with both those guys and, and with a handful of guys, especially at the, the big league level, once they, they throw that pitch with the ideal optimal shape that we want, um, they're very good at, at, I don't want to say repeating it, but having the feel for, okay, that was it. Yeah. Uh, and, and then kind of maintaining that and, and taking that um, into either the game or the next bullpen or the next, you know, two months. Um, both those guys, Ty and, and Graveman have, have pretty good feel for the baseball um, in the hands. So right. once they got the shape, it was like, boom, boom. now, now, now I- we have a better pitch. I got to ask you this, and, and this is a bitter question for me. And and I'll, I love using this. Like, if we had this technology back when I was playing, I'd be I'd be a Cy Young, you know. Because and and I don't know if you feel that way too. You've been around this at a major league level, at like the highest level, basically, where you get access to resources that not many people get, even though they might act like they do. And I sit here and watch this and listen to you speak and, and you know, I, I have a rap soda machine and, you know, I, I've done the certification and, and I, I work with kids and stuff with it. And in the back of my mind, like, this is a silly. And then I catch myself on it now, dude, but I always say, man, if I had this, when I was pitching, there's a couple of things I'm like, should I have been pitching up in the zone, down in the zone? Should I, was this just absolute garbage? This slider that seemed to get crushed, even though it was a good pitch. But do you feel like going back to when you started this journey, you got done playing, and you started this journey back then, you know, looking at the way the landscape is now, guys like you, and what, what year did you start coaching? The fall of 2013. Okay. So that was, you know, I got done my, my last year playing professionally over here in the U S was 2014. Okay. By that point, there was still that situation where if you want to be a pitching coach at the highest level, you have not had to, but basically you had to pitch in the major leagues or you had to be in the, the minor league system for years and years and years. So when you got done playing and you said, you know, I want to venture into coaching, what was the, and if you can remember back in, because you've done a lot obviously since then in a, in a short period of time, really back then, what was the goal for you? Like were you, you weren't sitting there going, I'm going to be a major league pitching coach one day or were you? I mean, I, that's a tough call even back then. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a good question. I, uh, I had two goals in, in college was to pitch in the big leagues yeah. and plan B was to be the pitching coach at Florida Gulf coast university. Yeah. Um, and I had been released from the Rays, and I was, I was going to go to indie ball and I was going to make my comeback and I was going to live out my dreams. And, uh, the scout that signed me, um, uh, and, and I absolutely love him for this, hated him at the time, but he said, <laughs> he said, don't, don't do that. Like, you, really? you got no chance. He said, I, did, I didn't sign you because I thought you were a big leaguer. I signed you because you threw strikes, and I know you could help the kids in rookie ball. Wow. Um, so yeah, stung. Stung <laughs> like hell. Um, but he asked me, like, what plan B was, and I said, I wanted to coach. I wanted to coach here at Florida Gulf Coast. And he was like, he was like if you play, you're going to come out of the game at, at 27, 29 years old. Yep. You're going to have zero – recruiting zero coat like you'll you'll have to start at that age and that's going to be tough he said or you can start right now um and i basically kind of told him off yeah i'm still dead set on getting to the big leagues and then it was within 24 hours i called him back i was like 
All right. What, what, uh, what's the scouting thing that, uh, that you got going on with Tampa Bay? Maybe I'll, I'll give that a shot. So. Wow. Okay. So man, because even then you, there still would have been, you would have been a couple months into scouting and you'd still carry that baggage of what if I kept playing? What if I started throwing harder? If I don't throw hard enough or well, my stuff's not nasty, what, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, because there's still, I still sit back and go, why did I stop playing when I did? You know, I'm, I'm still kind of caught up on that. Even though there's a lot of, you just seem to forget the, every knockback you've gotten basically or that yeah. conversation. So when you, so you got into scouting pretty, how old were you when you started, started scouting then? 21, 22. So you were so young. I mean, that's kind of reserved for guys who are a little bit older, you know, like when you think about it and when you got into scouting, were you, was the end game still, I still want to coach. This is my way there. Were you like, no, I want to all of a sudden now I'm a scout. I'm not coaching now. Yeah. Um, the end goal was the, the pitching coach at FGCU. Um, yeah, I love the area. I, I love the school. The, the, the pitching coaches that I had really impacted not just my career, but my life. Um, and I wanted to do that. I wanted to give back and I wanted to, to, to be those guys. Um, yeah. And the, the scouting thing kind of had this, well, if, if I scout, especially in the state of Florida, I'll, I'll get to know all of the coaches, junior college, division two, D ones. I'll get to know everybody yeah. um, uh, and the scouting community as well. Um, so my, my recruiting Rolodex, um, I could start building that mm -hmm. that way when I do go into coaching, um, it would be a lot easier than, you know, cold calling people or just, yeah. you know, going off, off of, off of my eyes. Um, so that was the initial like plan do this. And if you want to coach, this will definitely help you get a job. Um, but I, I loved it. Um, you know, growing up in, in St. Pete, working for the Rays, um, it was, it was a great job. It was a dream job. Um, so I immediately fell in love with the gig. Yeah. Um, but then about the, about the second draft, I kind of looked around and, and, uh, it was evaluating players and, and what they're good at, but also what, you know, what their, where their deficiencies are but I wasn't able to help that guy with those deficiencies. I wasn't able to, you know, you watch this and, and you say, well, this guy can't do this. Well, let's help him do this. Right. Um, so it was kind of at that point where I was like, man, I, I really want to, I want to help. I want to coach. I want to teach. Um, I want to get on the field instead of behind mm -hmm. the, behind the net or behind the fence. Did you feel like you were a good scout? Like, did you feel like you were good at, <laughs> finding talent because <laughs> it's got to be hard man like everyone like someone said oh hey what like back in the day like oh you should get into scouting or so like, i don't think i wouldn't take anyone because i'd be too scared to grab someone like who's this dude <laughs> do you feel like could you could you pick them on the or i mean did you have a good track record it's i don't want to say it's easy in florida but there's so much talent in florida um then right. you don't have to go very far so it's all right here um I guess you could tell a good scout if you just look at uh, at who they signed or or where they had on their 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 guys planted on the draft board and where those guys are now. Mm -hmm. um, Carlos Correa was the first player I saw at an event, um, and I want to say Mike Zanino was the number one person on my board that year on right, on wow. my, not the Rays board, <laughs> my board. Right. Um, 
but it's it's cool that that Z ended up you know playing for the yeah. Rays. Um, I I hope they didn't use my report when when they were looking back over that. I'm sure somebody looked at it and had a few laughs. Um, what well, tell tell us what was on that because you know he played with the Mariners. A lot of Mar- Mariners people listen to this. So what was that report like? What were some of the bullet points for Mike Zanino? Um, so I saw him at at University of Florida, um, yeah. two or three games. Uh, he hit probably four homers, um, a couple balls off the wall. He absolutely smashed. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's aluminum bats and it was, it wasn't against a, a powerhouse pitching, but, um, I don't know. I thought the dude was going to hit. I thought he was going to hit for power. Um, and I wasn't too excited about what he was doing behind the plate. Um, he was, he was big and strong. And just like anything, I may have caught him on a on a bad series or on a bad night. Um, yeah. So I had the bat and the power way ahead of the glove, um, and and Mike obviously did a lot of work on the defense and has become a, a much better catcher than than my terrible report said he was going to be. <laughs> um, I'm going to get a copy of that. <laughs> I had him as the the number one. He was he was the guy on yeah. my board. So. Uh, so- and you're working with Tampa Bay. Obviously, you grew up there. And you mentioned it was like a dream. It was a dream job to to work with that team. Did you get to sit in on these meetings and like you know get behind the scenes when you know, obviously you're only still in your early twenties at that point? Yeah. And you walk in, you get to sit at this table listening to these you know big time evaluators or player development. Did you get to sit in on all that? And you're like, was it what you expected it would should look like or be, or were you were you surprised with the the way those talks go? I didn't know any different. Um, I was just lucky to, to be in the room. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it was our, our meetings in January where we'd kind of, you know, set the ground rules mm-hmm. and get everybody together, all, this, all areas, every scout's in the, in the room. Um, and then they kind of, you know, open the gates and everybody goes. Um, yeah. And just, just learning. Like I was, I was going through uh, all my old stuff when I got home uh, from the season, just notes on notes from from those meetings and the draft meetings um and then the draft itself it was it was very eye-opening um i definitely was not prepared to to have a voice um mm-hmm. and i'm glad i didn't have a voice because uh yeah but uh I, I just learned a ton from it and yeah. like you said there was there was hundreds and hundreds of years of scouting and and development minds uh in those rooms so um just soaking it in it definitely helped um for the next you know three four years and and even still today and so this is your fifth year with the mariners how how did you get the the gig with the mariners um i won a raffle no um (laughs) so when i played for the lacrosse loggers um this is where the bobblehead it just it all comes back um you, you need to Andy, just get like you need to just boost that up and put it right here on the screen so yeah. <laughs> just hold it the whole time yeah <laughs> there we go that works there we go. <laughs> um uh so chris sale and i were college roommates and we went up to to play for the loggers uh summer of 08 and andy mckay was our our coach um Got to know Andy. He was a, a, a junior college coach in California at the time and was a mental skills coach, sports psychologist. Um, and uh, it was actually being around him made me fall in love with, with coaching even more. Um, 
he opened up that side of the game that I never knew existed. Um, the mental side, yeah. uh, in, in reading. And, uh, so, um, so I played, I played those, those two summers there with him, learned a ton. Um, and then, uh, I actually had agreed to go be his pitching coach, um, in 2010, uh, that next year, uh, if I didn't get drafted. And so the draft happened and my name didn't get called. So, um, I packed up my Toyota Camry and I drove to La Crosse, Wisconsin. Nice hybrid or is it a hybrid model? Oh no, no, this was like a one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised it made it there. Um, Got all the way up there. Uh, I'm having dinner with my host family and, and the scout from Tampa Bay calls and, and asks if I want to, uh, to sign with them and, and pitch for the, the golf roast raise that summer. So I had, I had to call Andy the day before the season started and be like, Hey, I, I, I gotta go. Uh, the raise called. And he's like, yeah, totally understand. Uh, so I kind of left him hanging. Um, and, uh, and then we just, we kept in contact. Yeah. Um, like I said, he helped me a ton. Uh, he always provided, you know, content, whether it's books or articles. Um, and shoot, you know, whatever, 20, 2015, 2016, he called and said, Hey, we got a, we have an opening in, in uh, Clinton, Iowa. Would you be, would you be interested in, in yeah. coaching with the Mariners? <laughs> and uh, I, I said, when, uh, when do you need me? And he said, I need you in Clinton in like three days. Oh, so, so this is during the season. So what, so what yeah, happened? Who was there? What happened? Who was there before you? Um, oh, shoot. They, they just, they fired him. They got, they, they fired. Them. No, he, um, he, he wanted to, he went, we switched. He went to college and no I way. went to pro ball. Um, wow. Yeah. He went to, to Grand Canyon. Oh, um, Rich Dorman. Right there. Door, yeah. Rich Door. Oh, dude, he's one of my really good friends. <laughs> Door dude, and I, I switched. Okay. Wow, so you guys, I, I did not realize that. I, man, there's way too many connections on this conversation right now. I can't believe it. But um, yeah, Rich Rich Dorman, yeah, man, he, he, him and I, we played together back in the day. Get we out. kept in contact. And I've actually sent some Australian kids to GCU, now one to Oregon State um, with a business awesome. I had bringing. That's, uh, that's crazy. That's right. He left and, and he wanted to, uh, to, to go the college route. So there yeah. you are. So he, he's probably looking at you going, man, I should be the big league pitching coach right yeah. now. <laughs> if he's listening, <laughs> oh, I, need to, I need to text him. We're going to have a chat. Oh, that, boy. That's crazy. So you jump the, right. The, the connection's even crazier because he is now the pitching coach for Mitch Canham, who was the manager in Clinton and that's Modesto right. and Little Rock with me that's the last right. four years. So oh, Mitch Dore and I, we've, we have a, a, a nice little circle. That's man. That that's that is crazy. So you, so Andy McKay, you hear Andy's name all the time. Like, and again, obviously, player development such a big part of this. And I talk about it all the time. Everyone talks about, you know, when with this, the Mariners going through a rebuild and all these teams, how they, you know, that they, they 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 trade away their big players and they they put so much stock into the minor league players. This time now, they always say this. I always say to people who ask me whether it's you know working on root sports or in you know down the coffee shop down down the street here, they always say, oh you know all these minor league guys. That's all they care about. This and that. And I said, yeah, but I said, but it's about that that play development so massive that you just don't see. Andy's name comes up a bunch. What what does he do so well? If I'm a player in this system, because I've had some good 
minor league coordinators and, and, you know, whatever, player development, all this good ones. I've had some bad ones. I've had ones that I don't even know what they're, what they're doing. I feel like, like, what's the plan here with me or they're my teammates or these prospects. What does Andy do? Do you feel like in his whole process that makes this work? Do you, in your opinion? Great question. Um, Andy has created the playbook. Okay. Uh, and then, and this is over his 30 years, uh, maybe more. I don't know. Um, but he has, he has created the playbook and he has simplified it. Um, and then also has brought in the right people to bring that book to life. Um, so it's not like he's in the trenches, you know, doing pitch design. He's not, he's not working with our hitters in their movement prep. He's not in the gym. Um, but he, he has, he's created the, the blueprint. He created the playbook. Um, and then, like I said, has, has found the, the right people and, and great people to, to bring those pages to life. And, and I, w- I would say the, the main thing is holding us accountable to that. So with that, everyone's on the same page. Like, if, for example, it's the same philosophy or the same, you know, not mantra, but the same kind of guidelines. If I'm in A ball, double A, triple A, and even the big leagues, everyone's on, on a similar page. That's the goal. Okay. Because from, yes, from, you know, without being too specific, every player is different. Everybody needs their own, you know, touch. Um, But for the most part, the, the, the overlying uh, philosophies, mantras, um, ideas, um, just how we operate. It should be the same, whether you're in uh, Boca Chica or you're in Seattle. You know, and the reason I ask that is because I've been with you know different organizations. I left the Mariners 2010, and then I bounced around. I was in the minor leagues here and there. I remember the Red Sox. I'll use them as an example. Everyone, there was this level of respect from the players. The players would come in on on the minor league side, and this is how we do things here. It wasn't this, oh, you're going to do it this way or beat it. It was a respect thing. It was, you know what, like there was a really good communication, first of all. But from a player's standpoint, you walk in like, man, I really like what they do here. And A-ball guys knew exactly what – it was very transparent up up to the big leagues. I found that there was times when I was, you know, in a younger player, I'd be doing something or working on something. And mind you, obviously, it's a different generation, different time with technology and stuff like that. But I'd be an A-ball working on something, get to double A or get to high A. The coach barely knows who I am. <laughs> He's like, what pitches do you throw? And I'm like, oh, he goes, oh, that curveball's too slow. And then I get to double A and they're like, no, 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 that's your, that's your, you know, it, it was, it would drive me nuts. And then yeah. hitting on the same side of things where I'd watch these hitters and these hitters just pulling their hair out because it's like, dude, I just spent two months doing this. So mm-hmm. it, that's, I mean, it's easier said than done, right? Because when you have a player, especially you, you're in, in AA the last couple of years, you get these guys, these big prospects getting traded over. And there's, and I've seen this too, where they come over, everyone tells them how amazing they are. They have for the last couple of years. They get traded, and rightfully so, but they get traded over. And if something's foreign to them or something doesn't seem to, you know, doesn't vibe with you or something, they always go, and, and you may have found this too, coaching. Oh yeah, when I was with the, when I was with the Red Sox, it was, we did this or that, and it just creates that 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 part of you know for this player that next couple of years, man, you are really limiting yourself, and that yep. player development aspect is really not gonna not gonna come into it. Okay, so when you have a player come in, like let's say Justice Sheffield, right? 
he comes in. He's a little bit different because he's let's go Justin Dunn. All right, let's let's go because he came yeah. in. When you have a guy like that and you want to not put your stamp on him, but but help him, what's the process like with that? Because you know you could have, and you've probably come and you're not gonna. You've probably had some players that just you might suggest something. They're like, no, no, no. This is what's been given me. There's there's that that um, they put that wall up. So what's that process like with that with these young players coming over in the trade? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I hate to, everybody's different. That wall is, is thicker for some and yeah. uh, easier to, to jump over than others. Um, but for, let's just for Dunny's sake, um, most of last year was, was spent just getting to know each other and, and just building a relationship and, and kind of building our houses next to each other. Um, so you don't necessarily have to jump over the fence. You can, you can still communicate um and and that works both ways you know i I don't have all the answers so a, a lot of it is hey have you done this in the past oh yeah i did that in you know i did that in college we tried that didn't work okay good um you know so you're just kind of crossing things off instead of saying hey this is what mm-hmm. this is what i think you need to do or this is what mm-hmm. we think you need to do um just like like any relationship you have to uh you have to make sure both sides you know, see the, the level of respect and the level of care. Um, and then I don't want to say it's easy cause it's, it's never easy. It's not an easy job. It's not an easy task yeah. um, to, to develop as a pitcher, but uh, it definitely helps um, during 160, 140 games every day with, yeah. with somebody. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's interesting. Cause anytime I hear, like I had Brandon Morrow, um, he's still playing and he's had, he's had a lot of success, but he's had a lot of failures too. We, we, we dived into that and I said, Hey, who's that one pitching coach that, you know, turned, turned the corner for you and boom, literally instantly he came up with a name. Um, and it's when he went to the blue Jays and it, it was funny. He literally like within seconds and I'm the same way, like Brad Holman was a pitching coach I had in double a, and it wasn't so much the information I was getting, like the information may have been great, but I just trusted it. And we just had that, that, that communication where we're not, we're buddies, but I just respected him. He respected me. So when I hear, you know, Justice Sheffield, I talked about this earlier, 2019, he he's got a lot of, there's a lot of pressure on him. And I'm not saying, oh, poor guy, whatever, you know, but he comes over from the Yankees, big trade, mm-hmm. James Paxton, everyone's expecting big things. I'm on the media side and I hear it all the time. Like they were like, oh yeah, Sheffield, Sheffield. Like everyone's just like itching to see success and to see that, you know, 95 zap blowing doors <laughs> off and, and, you know, everything else. He goes to AAA, struggles. Then he goes down to, to see you, right? And all of a sudden something changes. And it, when you with him in that position what what were those the first conversations with him when you when we're talking about um justice sheffield what what was it man when what did you see when he first came down um similar to dan like he but i think both those guys like had pitched in double a years ago like this yeah this was difficult pill to swallow um but they both came down and they they weren't they weren't too cool for school they uh they dove right in um but the the meeting with chef was hey what's what's the foundation of why you're successful Mm -hmm. 
when when you're firing on all the cylinders, what does it look like? What are you doing? How are you preparing that? Um, and for him, it was it was just getting back to having fun playing baseball. Yeah. Um, his time in Tacoma was not fun. Uh, it's not fun, you know, getting hit in the PCL. Um, yeah. the, the PCL last year and uh, most other years is is a tough place to pitch. Yeah. Um, so getting kind of getting out of that environment and and getting back to uh, enjoying it being start day and not having that anxiety or right. that worry that I'm going to give up 12 runs. Um, and then the, the, the group of guys, you know, he, he, he knew Dunny from, from spring training, but, um, but with Chris Matt and, and Sanchez and McCocken, like that group of starters just had a ton of fun together. Yeah. Um, they're at each other's bullpens They're you know, they're talking smack They're If one guy goes seven with, with eight K's, like it's, you got to go seven with 10 K's tomorrow. Like yeah. they, they competed with each other. Um, so it was, it was just kind of getting him out of that environment and having him take kind of take the, the, the leash off himself and, and just go free. And yeah. it was, it was very quick. Um, he quickly got back to, to where he wanted to be and where, you know, he should be. Um, and so it was, it was great to see this year that he continued on that path. And is that why do you, I mean, this may be a dumb question, but he's in AAA scuffling. And you know, a lot of that too is you got guys who go up and down. There's a lot, it's, it is the bitter squad in AAA. I'm not going to lie. I was part of it too. Where it's like, Oh, I'm getting screwed here. I should be in the big leagues. There's a lot of that. And, and you know, there's older players and everything else. So it was basically the organization sent him to you and, on the surface, it looks like oh, he's scuffling in, in AAA, oh, get demoted. Was it you? Was it? And, and again, you, you know, you probably you know feel like oh, you know, taking all the credit here, but do you feel like Andy McKay or whoever it was said, okay, we have to get justice around Pete. Was that the the motive to send him to AA? I don't. It was the. It was obviously Jerry and and Andy's decision. Um, the the culture and environment that that Mitch and and myself have been around, whether it was in Clinton, Modesto, or Little Rock, um, had proven to be a, a winning culture, um, a fun culture. Um, I don't, I don't want to speak for, for everybody involved, but, um, it was just a, a, a good place to be and to develop. And I think we, we saw that over the last couple of years. Um, I don't know what their, what their decision was, but, um, I'm really glad that both those guys came down because I saw that. Um, and you can even throw Nabil Krismat in with them. Um, uh, a handful of guys uh, got better, enjoyed the game, um, and kind of got back to the roots of, of who they were. So, Does that come – does that relationship with these players, does that come natural for you? I mean, it's as far as, you know, sitting him down, is that something you had to work on? Like to, to do it the right way when you do have a, a you know delicate situation like that with Sheffield or Dan Altavilla, is that something? Did someone teach you how to act with these guys, or is that just a natural thing for you with that relationship? I I, I mean, no one ever sat down and and gave me a book of of how how to have these conversations. Um, I give a ton of credit to to Mitch Canham. He was he was huge in, really? in my development. Um, he's a he's a motivational speaker. He's a, a not just a, a great manager, but a, just a great human being. Um, yeah. So 
you know, having conversations with him and being in the room when he's having conversations. Uh, we definitely prepared for those. Um, I remember there was a, a Reggie McLean conversation that we needed to have that I kept putting off and putting off, um, just running it through my mind over and over again. And I didn't like the outcome. Um, so there, there is a lot of preparation that goes in. We don't just wing it, but, uh, yeah, I would, I would say just being around Mitch, um, definitely helped have those conversations. So what was the, with Reggie McLean, what was the, what was the conversation that was you're avoiding with that? Uh, the, the truth. Right. Okay. That, uh, you are, you're, you're not very good right now. Right. You're, you're going the wrong direction. Yeah. You are, uh, you need to make some changes or your career is probably going to end. I don't have the, the authority to, to release you, but wow. I, I know the writing on the wall. Um, these things need to change by the time you come back to spring training. Wow. Uh, yeah. Then th- those are, those are tough and yeah. they're tough when they're tough when you have that relationship with the player. Um, I recruited Reggie when I was my first year coaching in college. Uh, so I'd known Reggie for, for four or five years. Um, I think that's why it was difficult for me was because I, I, <laughs> I knew Reggie and I liked Reggie. And I didn't want Reggie not to like me by saying these hurtful yet yeah. honest things. Um, but just like anything, you rip the bandaid off and when you're done, you're like, yeah. really glad that happened. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and, and I guess, and I mean, I, I don't know what happened regarding the, how he responded to that, but you're right. You know, it's the, the truth, man, seems to set you free all the time. Like, with that too, with that, having those conversations, now you go up, you, you go to the big leagues. Now, first of all, before I get to this, because this is a big part of what I really want, I really wanted to, to make sure I, I didn't forget about this. But before we get into that, how did this process, when did you know you were going to be the major league pitching coach? Last off season. Okay. So it wasn't a situation at the end of 2019, while you're still in AA, they're like, oh, hey, you know, by the way, um, we're going to figure out next year. Did you have any kind of inkling that, man, I could, I could get that job next year? No, not really. And, and kind of like we talked about earlier, it wasn't – my goal coming into this wasn't to, to be a major league pitching coach. Like, I just wanted to coach. I wanted, I wanted to do what the coaches did for me. Um, I loved Division Two. I loved Division I. Uh, I loved Clinton, Iowa. And there's not many people who could say they love Clinton, Iowa. Um, <laughs> including me (laughs) (laughs) modesto little rock like i i really enjoyed um each and every level the the kind of the the time that those players are at in their career at those different levels um yeah i was i don't want to say i was i was satisfied but i just enjoyed what i did i was surrounded by great people with with mitch um you know austin knight caesar nicholas uh just a handful of people in the org. Um, so when it was, when it was kind of presented, it, uh, it definitely caught me off guard. Um, but at the same time, the, the last 10 years have been preparing me for it the, the whole time without even knowing. Is that, is that the, the, the key here? And, and you, you kind of touched on something and, and usually when, you know, it's always the, the, the narrative is always, oh, hey, you got this job now. Set your sights big. You're going to be the big league pitching coach. That's what I'm going after. It, what you just said then, I feel like you were more 
not that you were ever satisfied, but you were more present in where you were and you could do an amazing job. And that just, that'll take care of itself. Is that the key when it comes to this, whether it's trying to be a major league pitching coach, because a lot of it's out of your control. I mean, yeah. you really have to have a network or know people or be the best buddy of a manager. You see that all the time. Some guys I've seen in the big league pitching coaches, I'm like, man, like the stories I've heard, they don't really translate that message, but they're, they're best buds with the, the manager. Mm-hmm. Mind you, that was 10 years ago. It's different. The game's different now. But is that the key here? I, I, I just think anyone who's listening and, and I get stuck in that, I'm like, oh, I need to be here and I forget about because I can never be present sometimes. I, that's the key for me. Yeah. Um, and that was something I learned from Andy McKay as a player was, was taking it one pitch at a time, being as present yeah. as possible. Um, you know, embracing the suck of summer collegiate baseball. Um, and I, I think a lot of those things that he had taught me, I've just kept building and building. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how I've, I've kind of approached every opportunity I've gotten, um, you know, just go all in. Uh, enjoy every second while you're there um and i i know that and mitch and i went back and forth on this because he has goals and he's driven and he's 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 got it written out he's got a five-year plan and a 10-year plan um and i was like man that's exhausting yeah um, so, so that's completely I, like polar opposite <laughs> polar opposite to your approach in a sense yeah wow. but man. the cool thing was like his goal was to be the head coach at oregon state in five years, yeah. three years ago, and yeah. it worked out for him. Um, yeah. And then the approach that I had, you know, worked out for yeah. me, um, yeah. I guess. So I don't know if, if it's yeah. the way, um, but it's, uh, it's definitely kind of how I've been raised. So when, so in the off season, who, who, who gives you a call and says, oh, hey, did you have to go interview first? Did they have like five candidates for this pitching coach? Uh, I don't know who, uh, who else was, was in line or where the candidates were. Um, I had, I had talked with Andy. I had talked with, with Jerry, um, a ton. Um, you know, they, it, it kind of helped that they, they knew me. I've been in New York. Um, Brian DeLunis was, was very helpful in the process. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what, uh, what else, what other direction they were thinking. Did you have, I mean, did you nail the interview? Like, did you have to, it was all over the phone. Did you have to go in person? And, and that, did they sort of scold you? Like, cause I remember hearing about, you know, the, the next Yankees manager, Aaron Boone and some of these other guys, they, we spent six hours in a room and mm-hmm. whatever, what my plan is and all that. I'm like, man, that seems exhausting. So what for you, like, was it something that you feel like, yeah, I nailed this phone call where they, they trust me and to be the guy. I, I thought so. Um, yeah. I had a, a lot of help. Um, I, I, I hadn't interviewed for many jobs. Um, I mean, I told you the scouting one, like the, the scout that signed me just kind of brought me in. Um, the, my first coaching job, I didn't even know I was interviewing. I was just having a conversation with the head coach on the phone, um, Greg Brown. And at the end of the conversation, he asked me if I wanted to be his pitching coach. Um, oh, wow. so I, I didn't have a, a, a ton of experience. So, um, I definitely I had both our mental skills coaches uh, just kind of help me uh, be more professional. Yeah, I guess right. help me uh, help me learn how to talk better. <laughs> now, I, that's so funny because I've got anytime I have to talk to someone or or 
schmooze someone on the phone or impress them or something. I feel like I've got all this, this whole, you know, go over, you know, I'm in the shower before I jump on, I'm in my head. <clears throat> I'm going to say this, say this, get on the phone. I just freeze. I'm like, Oh man, I just crushed myself here. No wonder I'm not getting a call back. That's, that's interesting. And especially you being in you know, the industry you, you're in, it's not like you go into sit in a cubicle and all of a sudden try and get a promotion and you have to go in and get interviewed or, or switch jobs. Yeah. So now when you, you take on this job, you find out, you find out you're going to be the pitching coach, a major league pitching coach, right? That must've been that day, that 24 hours where you, you know, find that out. You know, you must be sitting there thinking, was there ever that, I, I love to talk about imposter syndrome all the time. <laughs> I feel like I deal with it. I've talked to guys and did you feel like, hold on a sec, they're going to figure me out here. I don't deserve <laughs> this. Or you're like, no, hell yeah, this is mine. What was that 20, first 24 hours like when you were really trying to process this? I was, I was super excited. Um, my wife couldn't really wrap her head around it. Right. Um, she doesn't know. She doesn't think I'm that good, I guess. Right. Yeah, she, um, she's the one sitting there. Hold on a second. Did they call the right person? <laughs> um, so it was, it was interesting, but um, it really wasn't until uh, the, the first spring training game right. where I'm, I'm, I'm on the step with Scott um that was kind of when it, it finally sunk in and that was like months later yeah. um so yeah there was a lot of of uncharted territory um there was a lot outside outside of i don't want to say my comfort zone but yeah. my normal uh preparation zone um so it wasn't until the the i don't want to say the lights went on because it was a one right. o'clock game but it yeah. wasn't until that first pitch <laughs> that it was like yeah. all right it's the same thing it's a different uniform but yeah. this is pretty cool yeah, I, man, I, now that you're putting it like that, it, it completely changed my, my perspective on it. What about like, you've got guys like, you know, Kendall Graveman's been around the game forever. You've got, you know, Yusei Kikuchi, who is this coming over from Japan, obviously signed a big league deal, a big deal. And he's you know, in the second year of it. Marco Gonzalez, who's coming off a good year. Did you, did you think about before you met these guys, having what were those conversations going to be like did you ever think well what am i going to say to these guys because they've been doing it for a long time how did all that go down like was that just an easy transition or is that something that took a little bit of work um I, it was pretty easy um you know when you're at spring training and, and even when i was uh you know the the high a pitching coach um you have some interaction with those guys and i i learned quickly i don't know maybe i was wrong but um it didn't matter that I was 26 or whatever. It didn't matter my age. It didn't matter what level I coached at. Like that player was a, a pitcher. He was a human being. Yeah. Um, you know, Felix is at a much higher level than, than some other guys, but they're, they're all human beings and you know, it, you interact with them just like you would any other player. Yeah. Um, you know, some guys are nicer than others. Some guys open up quicker. Um, but, uh, I, I really didn't have any reservation of, of, oh shoot, like, how am I going to talk to Marco Gonzalez? How am I going to get through to like, no, they're, they're pitchers yeah. who, who want to compete and want to win. And I'm a coach who wants to compete and wants to win. We both want the same thing. Let's, let's yeah. go get it. Um, signing Taiwan, like in spring training, uh, I was a little intimidated. Um, mm -hmm because I, I didn't know him from past spring trainings. Uh, yeah. The last couple of years at the end of the year, uh, they would bring Mitch and I up 
uh, to Seattle for a series. So, um, you know, I, I got to, to know a handful of guys up there as well. Um, so Taiwan was really the only one that I didn't know bigger name coming in, big guy. Um, so it, and then he played for Dorman and Clinton, you know, years past. So, you know, we had the door connection, um, (laughs) and immediately, you know, Taiwan became one of my favorite players to coach. So that was really the only one. Yeah. I just, I mean, I'm, I'm in, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, something that let's say, let's say hypothetically, you saw a player that was, that been around, let's say they played for 10 years in the major leagues. Well, like, okay, let's say Felix, for example. Let's say you watch Felix. Now, obviously, you didn't get a chance to work with Felix this year. But you watch Felix and, or whoever, and you see something that they're doing or some way that you want to help them. Because you, you said that early you know, during this conversation that you see guys like, man, I just want to help them. If you've got someone who's on that kind of pedestal coming in, Right. And, and we're just talking hypotheticals here. Let's say, again, 10 years in the show, you've seen them do their thing. You're like, man, I can really help them get back to being the best, that, the best version of themselves. How do you approach that? Like, is there that, that, that and let's, let's say they are a little reserved, for example, and you really want to get this information across. And Marco seems pretty easy. I mean, he seems like, you know, he just, he, he's very easy to communicate with. But you, let's say- Marco's got, the toughest guy to coach. Say that again? Marco's the toughest guy to coach. Why is that? Because he's so damn good. Right. And he's, so, he's, his routine is, is like there's not much to do. That, that machine <laughs> is well-oiled, my friend. So he's, you, just, you just ride along. So basically, if you, if we're speaking of Marco, so you just like, well, have a good off-season. You've got to figure it out. I mean, because it has to be and, – and going, going back to because I want to touch on that here in a second. You've got someone – who kind of has their guard up, big, big time career, has gone off the track a little bit. How do you, what's the technique, man? How do you approach that subject? And obviously everyone's different, but what's the first thing you would say if that was the situation? Oof. I feel like I'm interviewing right, you right now for a job. Do they want to get back to where they were? Right. Or are they, you know, are they satisfied with their hundreds of millions of dollars? And right. Good question. Just kind right. of, riding, riding the wave to the beach. Um, if, if they are frustrated with where their stuff and where their career has gone and they really do want to change, then it's, it's, it's easy. Yeah. We both want the same thing. Um, and then it's about providing them the, the, the path and the the framework and the, I don't want to say the information, but the, the action steps, um, and just kind of knowing, where those line up, um, not trying to do 12 things at once and knowing what's most important right now and what's the end goal and, and just kind of getting them started down that path. Um, but it, yeah, it, it starts with, do you really want to be fucking good or are you satisfied with where you're at? Yeah. That's, that's a great way to look at it. Do you want to get back to where you want to be? Yeah. That's a, you don't really think of it like that because most of the time, even if they, if they do have their guard up or whatever, deep down, it's like, yeah, I kind of do. Like, I really do. You know, regardless of, I mean, these, these guys are, you know, competitive athletes. Speaking of that, now, Marco, all right, so back to that. He gets all done right. with his season. And dude, I love watching him pitch, man, because it's mm. this constant, we're in a generation now where if you're not throwing 98 miles per hour, one little, one little chip away of a, a three spot and a six spot in an inning, oh, well, that's why, because stuff-wise, everyone else is better than him or whatever it is. That's why I love watching him pitch. And I did yep. this thing on, on, on a pregame show once. I did this 
I, I collected all these numbers after he had a rough start. So like, because it's interesting, you see these guys and, and they have some success, then they get knocked off the horse. And, and in a situation like him where all of a sudden that doubt comes in and now they're sitting there thinking, oh, you know, maybe I'm not good enough, maybe. And then you just start to see it just straight decline three or four outings of just, you know, five innings, you know, and then they, they kind of figured out him. Boom, five days later, he has a rough one. And it's rare. Five days later, boom, he is just dominating. So when, when you have a player like that, Marco Gonzalez, and, and everything he's done, who still does not get enough credit, I don't think, um, that he should nationally, what, when he's going into the offseason, what kind of conversation do you have with him? Just like every other player. Um, we go over everything that they did well. Um, and it, it's – I don't want to phrase it. They go over everything that they did well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then – uh, you know, areas for, for growth, opportunities for growth, things that they want to develop this off season um, for 2021 and, and for beyond. Um, and hopefully those match up with the same things that we saw. Um, and if they don't, we, we have a conversation about it. Um, but it, it doesn't matter whether it's Marco or, or you say, or, or chef or uh, Johan Ramirez or a, a guy in, in low way, like every, every one of those guys are having this conversation. Mm-hmm. I know the minor leagues didn't happen this year, but yeah. um, every one of those guys is having this conversation um, and, and they have their goals for the off season. And I know it, it's, it is, it's tough to, to have goals for Marco, but um, that's why Marco's really, really good because yeah. he sets a very high standard for himself. Right. Um, and I, I know I joke around about it. And I even, I even told him that like, I mean, you're, you're really tough to coach yeah. because you do everything the right way. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's not a lot of leaks in, in your boat. Uh, so it's, it's just keeping him on his path and keeping him from drifting. And like I said, every human being does it. Um, and I, I do like when he, when he did have that, rough start where I think he gave up two runs um, <laughs> yeah. that uh, that next day, man, he's, he's pissed. He's, he's frustrated. He's, he's got that look in his eye. Um, and he, he kind of turns up his, his preparation a little bit. Right. Um, it, it doesn't like go crazy, but there's much more focus. He has, I need, this is, this is what I need to do in this bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a bunch of different things. Yeah. He's very simple. Uh, he's an absolute coach's dream. Um, yeah. That being said, yeah, yeah. So I had, and you know, I asked Max Scherzer the same thing, man. You come off a Cy Young Award season, or you know, like last year, you won, you guys won the World Series. How do you go into that off season? You like, yeah, I've got this figured out. And he said never. And he said one of the one of the reasons why when he got traded to the Tigers, he thought he had it figured out, and he sure enough he didn't. And he said those little moments got him to a place where even when you have success, there's always something. All right. So speaking of the offseason, real quickly. No, I, I like that because uh, that's been brought up um, that Scherzer, you know, wins the Cy Young or wins the World Series. Yeah. And uh, the guys, he trains down at Cressy. Um, yeah. And the guys, like, he, he took like a week off and then he's just yeah. going absolute bananas in there. Like he works like no other person. I like that. Guy wins a Cy Young in the World Series, and that's what he does. Maybe he's onto something. Yeah, that success leaves clues. Yeah, you know, 
Okay, so you say Kikuchi off-season. What, what, what are some of the specifics for him going into this off-season? What do you want to see 2021 from him when he comes into spring training? Uh, most, most of his, his goals, most of his development, uh, he spent last off-season creating this, this monster, creating this, this machine. Um, and he's 95, 97, uh, you know, the, the hard cutter, yeah. the breaking ball, and now the changeup. Um, so he he created the stuff, and and now it's about commanding it and learning how to use it and uh, and, and trusting it. And yeah. I think I think it starts with with commanding it, um, and then the the trust build once once you get hitters in the box and once you get a little bit of experience behind you. But um, the trust level should be high after not giving up many hits, many extra base hits, yeah. much damage at all. Um, he definitely avoided. A ton of bats this year. Do you think it's more? It's it's a lot more mental than it's physical for him. When you coach him, when you feel like, man, like, hey, just get out of your own way, get out of your head. Is is there a lot of that with him? That's every pitcher. Every um, pitcher. <laughs> I don't think I've come across a guy where I'm like, man, he's got the greatest mentality, but physically, <laughs> he just can't do it. Um, yeah, I mean. Yogi Berra wasn't wrong. It, the the majority of it yeah. is is between the ears. It's yeah. between pitches, um, and mm. every single one of our guys has a has a, a mental skills area of their their development that that needs to improve. Um, trusting trusting your elite pitches is is definitely a, the the mental side of the game. Um, so yeah, I mean. Uh... And the reason I asked, I just from watching him pitch, you can see his tempo start to change a little bit when when things kind of get off kilter a little bit or like that. He doesn't get that 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 hard cutter of his kind of stays in the middle left hand hitter goes whack hits it. You can start to see that game speed up a little bit. Now what about what about what about Justin Dunn? What, what do you want to see when he twenty twenty one comes around spring training? What do you want to see those first couple outings from him? Similar to to Kikuchi. Um... Dunn, Dunn kind of got, got bit by the, the quarantine bug, I would say. Um, he was one of the guys, and it was, it was a pandemic across the league where, where we saw some diminished below, um, yeah. you know, during the, that time um, where they would be competing and, and workloads would have been intense every five days. Uh, so Dunny getting back to uh, – I don't want to say getting back, but uh, getting a little bit more uh, behind his stuff. Yeah. Get some yeah. of his stuff and his velo up. Um, you know, like Kikuchi did last year, creating the machine. Dunny needs mm-hmm. to, to create a little bit more of the machine. Um, the dude's thrown a, a ton of strikes these, these last two years. Um, but being around him the last two years, and, and especially this year, there's, there's something about him, man. There's that, there's that competitor um, where it, it may not be the best stuff. It may not be located well all the time. There may be some walks here and there, but um, shoot, man, for the past two years, when when there's runners in scoring position and the game's on the line, he finds yeah. a way. Yeah, that's um, true. That's for sure. Watching him do his thing this year, that's for sure. Have you – is there anyone, anyone on the Mariner staff that – it's more of a physical thing where they have, where you're like, Hey man, listen, like you had Justice Shepherd last year, changed to a two seam fastball and, you know, worked out for him. Is there anyone on this staff? you like, Hey man, we have to design this slider to be different or design it or Hey, anything physical going into 2021? Not a ton. Um, 
like we said, Graveman kind of uh, tinkered with some things in camp uh, as a starter, but then once he moved to the bullpen, the stuff kind of got a little bit different, a little bit better, a little heavier. Um, So, so him, you know, developing that breaking ball, which he did at the end of the season um, out of the bullpen um, is definitely on, on his list, but there's not a ton of, of pitch design. There's not anything like, man, this guy needs this pitch. If only he had this pitch, um, you know, Marco's got six of them and they all work and yeah. uh, he puts them where he wants. Uh, yeah. There's, there's no one that has a glaring hole um, for physical improvements. Now I've got, I've got to ask you this. I want to leave this to the end. It's a tough one. Yeah, have oh, you boy. ever had to coach someone who had the yips? Uh, yes. Um, we had a player, uh, in, in the organization who, uh, he had them and was, was working out in, in Peoria to, to clean it up and was on the right track and he was progressing and we needed a guy, uh, to cover some innings. I don't remember why, um, but they were confident in him. And so they sent him, uh, they sent him our way and, the poor kid wasn't ready. Um, and, uh, I think he, he walked for maybe five, five straight and that was it. Um, so I didn't really coach him. Yeah. I was, I was a, a witness. Um, but the, uh, the guy for the bullpen, uh, for the Braves bullpen, um, Tyler Matzik, if I recall, uh, was with us in spring training a couple of years ago, coming back from, from this disease. Uh, and so to see him in, in the, the NLCS in high leverage situations, they're trusting in this kid and he's coming in and pumping the zone to, to see where he's come from in the last two years was, was really cool. Once again, didn't coach him, saw it kind of at its worst. Um, and just to see him back out on a major league mound was awesome. What what's the cure? Like from what you've heard, that's a, like that's a billion dollar cure, right man. There. Because you know, I, I I'm Daniel Bard's going to be joining me on on the podcast um, nice. later, later this week, and he had it bad. You know, I was yeah. with the Red Sox in 2013, and we we became buddies in spring training, and then you know, he dealt with it. And now he's seen him back. It's just so cool to see those guys, like you said. When you, he's like, man, because I, I had the yips, feeling a ground ball, throwing the first base. Um, mm. you know, up, up the first baseline, Boop, just email that thing. And, and yeah, it's funny, but it is the worst, man. Spring training, I've told this story a million times. You'd stand on the third baseline, do the PFPs. I'll just sneak behind behind the home plate and sneak over. Yeah, I've done my rep because I just didn't want to do it in front of anyone. Like it was brutal, even though it was spring training. I just, it was just so in my head. I, it's and I, I was I was hoping you're going to come. Well, this is what you got to do. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> there is is there one thing? Is it is it something you have to dive deep into the mental side? Is that close your eyes and throw it? Like, is there anything you've heard like that coaches have said? Oh, hey, I had this kid, and boom, this worked for him. Is there anything that you can dig into? The the one thing that I've heard that has helped is throwing things that aren't baseballs. Wow. Okay. Throwing, throwing tennis balls, throwing plyo balls. Um, it's kind of like, like you said, like it's the bunt down the first baseline. It's like one event that does something yeah. to, yeah. to our brain. Um, 
so to take part of that event out kind of changes the scenery yeah. um that's something that i've heard that has helped um i'm anxious to hear what what uh, daniel says because Me he too. did spend some time as a mental skills coach um so I'm I'm sure just like him reading and learning about the mental side. Yeah. Like he's like, oh my gosh, this was me. This is I just have to change the way yeah. I think about this. And I'm I'm sure that that definitely helped. Uh if there was a a list of five things to do and then you're cured, uh someone <laughs> would become yeah, and yeah, I mean, I got pretty a kid. rich. Uh, yeah, that's that's very true. I got a kid. Um, he's 19 years old with the Phillies back in Australia. I've known him for the last couple of years, and he he has it. He it, it sort of it comes on, it comes and goes. This kid's nasty too. I mean, you know, mid 90s like wipeout slider of the whole thing. But we're diving into all this other stuff that's going on off the field and, and everything. I'm like, man, should we go that route? And and that's why I'm, I'm really curious to hear what Daniel Bard has to say about that. But I was ho- I, I, but I was hoping, man. I hope you had the <laughs> like, oh, check out this book. This I wrote yeah. this. Boom, here it is. But yeah, it's man. It it's is, just, unfortunately, didn't have anybody in in college that like you could have the experiment with. Yeah. Um. And then at 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 the professional level like if you get it you, you don't last very long yeah it's tough it is tough it, it's like you said it, it is a disease whatever you want to call it the creature or the yips or anything like that but hey look I've, I've kept you way too long pete this has been awesome man this has been great and i'm hoping i'm really hoping again uh not that i'm a disease expert or, or anything like this with covid i'm just hoping 2021 gets back to normal i'm sure you are too i mean that must have been too for you your first year as a pitching coach, it must have been such a bummer, dude, when all of a sudden you get shut down. You're like, man, I really want to – I've gotten to know these players, you know, and then all of a sudden – You're so close. Oh, man. I, I just, spring training, and I know I don't, I don't have much to base it off of, but I thought we were in a really good place in spring training. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just the, the whole clubhouse, the whole, the whole team. Yeah. What, 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 if, if, if I'm a Mariners fan out there, what, what, what am I looking, looking forward to for 2021? Um, a lot of the guys we just talked about. Um, me personally, I'm looking forward to more of Kyle Lewis. Um, um, yeah, man. He was so it, fun. He was watch. fun to watch in high A. He was fun to watch in double A. <laughs> but um, he, has, he has definitely evolved and in, in is, is coming into his own and – uh talk about being present um just enjoying every every pitch every at bat yeah um from the pitching side uh i i really love where our where our starters are at um looking forward to seeing what what you say looks like in spring um chef coming off a good year looking to build on that um one we didn't talk about nick margavich uh i had him on the list he's standing very right. exciting like, oh. man yeah i loved Loved the development and the the steps he's yeah. he's taken. I don't know if they're they're noticeable, um, but uh, great kid, great great human being, great worker. Everything you want in a in a player. He's like a he's a Marco in the making. I wanted to I wanted to ask you about about him too. And again, I don't want to keep you too long. I just looked. No, at hey, I, I got like, I got. I was like, I got man, I've kept I've kept you so long. But I had him on the list because he's a kid, man. And I did try to do some digging. Some friends of mine who with the Padres. How do you give up on a kid like that? Is there something off the field? Like, is there an attitude problem or something that we don't see from the media standpoint to give up on a kid? And, and all I got back was it was a roster crunch. We didn't want to give up on him. I'm talking about for the Padres. 
Yeah. And watching him do his thing and, and not that I'm, um, here's someone who, and, and you talk about Marco, talk about Max Scherzer, guys who've been not had setbacks in the, in their past at some point, I feel like the fact that he did get DFA'd and something kind of made, gave him that, maybe that may not saying that he took things for granted back then, but to watching him do his thing and, and getting a chance to start in that rotation and hold on to that, you know, even when, when you've got all these other guys that, you know, are, are gaining so much attention, man, it was so fun to watch. And yeah. I love talking about him all year long. So what's something Nick Margavich is this off season you want to see out of him for 2021? Um, his is pr- kind of physical. Um, he's, oh, here we go. Nice. he's got a great fastball. Um, yeah. loves his fastball. That was the, the, the first thing we noticed. Um, and it's, it's unique. It's, it's from a high slot from the left side. It's, it's downhill with uphill. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's what you want. Um, it's very snow like, uh, the secondary stuff isn't bad. Um, he just loves his fastball. So right. there is some, some work to, to improve the, the curveball changeup and slider. Um, it's not an overhaul, but it's, it's more just trusting that yeah. the pitches are good too. Um, and then, you know, learning how to use them, where to use them, what hitters, what situations. Um, so that's, that's Nick's next step. But, uh, yeah, in 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 the line of of uh, elite preparers, he's he's at the top of my list that I've been around. That's what, yeah, that that's what I heard. You know, if that was, you know, if if that was legitimate or not, because I mean, he's he's so young, you know, and and watching him, and, and I always try and hear the way these guys talk about themselves in a post game interview, and you know, because I, I try and put myself in those shoes, how they handle when they get hit around and everything else. But um, no, it's it's fascinating, man. And one one other thing too. I've said before, I'll let you go about thirty thirty dollars in the last twenty <laughs> minutes. But is is there that fine balance too, man? I feel like with you, and if I was playing underneath you, it'd be like, you know, would, would you're obviously very easy to communicate with, you know, buddy buddy. Is, is there ever that fine line where you still have to be an authority figure for a young guy like Margavich's? Is there that balance? Is it too much of, you know, being a pitching coach and being their best friend? Do you ever worry about that balance at all? Um, I, I was told at a, at a young coaching age, uh, not to, not to get close to the players. Right. Cause, cause they'll, they'll throw you under the bus as soon as they can. Um, and I had, I had trouble wrapping my head around that. Um, because I knew as a player, the coaches that helped me the most were the ones that I had a real relationship with. Yeah. Um, I, I babysat their kids. Um, you know, like I, I knew their family. It wasn't just a, a, a work relationship. Yeah. Um, so I, I quickly kind of got over that, um, through that advice out the, out the door. Um, and, uh, I, I would say, yeah, there, there are times where you could get too, too buddy, buddy. Um, but like we talked about with the with the Reggie conversation, like you still have to be able to to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I don't have a ton of friends, but my best friends are very honest with me, and right. that's why they're my best friends. Yeah, yeah. they're not going to bullshit me. They're not going to yeah. tell me what I want to hear. Uh, they're going to tell me when I'm messing up. They're going to tell me when those shoes don't match that shirt. Um, you know, they're not going to let, they're not going to let me go out in public and look like a fool. Um, 
so I'd, I'd rather be on, on that end yeah. um, than to have a, a strict uh, disciplinarian right. business relationship. Yeah. That's Life's uh, too short, man. For sure. Yeah. No, I, I hear for sure. And that's, that's, uh, man, I feel like every time when I do these podcasts, it's like therapy for me, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to learn as much as I can and, and it just, you know, it, it brings up things that, you know, as, as I'm going through, but Pete, this has been awesome. I, I again, I want to say this and you know, you and I have had a long conversation and I've kept you too long, but that bobblehead had seriously meant the world to me, man. That, 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 just I, I haven't had a gift like that and my wife's been filming there because <laughs> yeah, she got me something cool for my birthday i think she got me a tent or something that we oh, never use <laughs> now i got this i said oh this is the best thing i've ever gotten she looked at me like oh thanks like oh, oh, no. All the cool no but dude, i got you in the doghouse this is literally if this is going to be my little studio right the, the one corner of the house that the the the, the kids can't run past me <laughs> this is going to be this is going to be glued to the table dude thank you so much for that and then thanks for the time and i can't wait 2021 hopefully we're back to normal and uh, we can actually have a conversation in person hell yeah absolutely awesome i appreciate now, all you do man thank you i, I thank you man I, I i appreciate that now is that a backdrop behind you are you, are you just in like a little studio apartment or are you trying oh, to like this, show is us the <laughs> this is my yard this is my backdrops <laughs> This is my screened-in porch. It finally, uh, finally dropped below ninety degrees here in Florida, so oh, nice. uh, not too, not too, not too shabby nice. out today. Yeah. Now, as soon as you, as soon as you turn the camera on, uh, uh, first thing we talked about Grand Balfour. He has that the big, the big screen thing to keep the bugs out, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Florida oh, has its, uh, its, its issues. Bugs are one of them, but yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's uh, it's 74 degrees right now. So Awesome, man. Well, I'll let you get back to your off-season. Pete, this has been fun, and uh, I look forward to chatting in person. Oh, yeah. Oh, awesome. yeah. Hopefully see you soon. Yeah, sounds good. Hey, hope you enjoyed that episode with Pete Woodworth. Awesome. Uh, I mentioned Daniel Bard uh, during, that, during that interview. Uh, he's supposed to be coming on here in a couple of weeks. I can't wait to have him. But uh, guys, make sure you go. If you like what you hear and you miss some of the earlier episodes, I've got Max Scherzer, James Paxson telling amazing stories, Marco Gonzalez, Dan Altavilla, uh, Randy Couture, MMA fighter, you name it. Uh, make sure you go to www.thetopstep.com.com, excuse me. Um, and you, you can see the buttons right there. You just click on the button, whatever it is. If it's Apple, Google, Spotify, tell your friends too, man. Tell your friends about this podcast I, and, and leave reviews, whatever you got to do. I want this thing to build because uh, it's a lot of fun. I love it. It helps me. Hopefully it helps you hearing some of these stories. All right, we'll catch you next week on The Top Step. Killing